As a mother, there are some things that are difficult for us to navigate, like parenting a strong-willed child, facing judgment and shame from others on how you're parenting, and also coping with your child saying those three hurtful words. But all of those things pale into comparison to losing your child. But my guest, Suzanne, was able to endure the pain of losing her daughter and get perspective. After her daughter passed, Suzanne spent two years not working and learned a lot about self-care. Hey there, my name is Tony Ann. I'm the podcast host of Real Happy Mom, the weekly podcast for busy working moms who need help with time management and achieving their big goals without pulling their hair out. And in this episode, my guest Suzanne will navigate the importance of self-care and how we can begin to practice self-care so that we can be more present, happy, and intentional. Before Suzanne shares with us some of the practical ways that we can start to practice self-care, we're going to back up and we're going to start with her story. My life was dramatically changed in 2012 by the sudden death of my 22-year-old daughter, Teal. And at the time, I was an internet marketer. I was burned out. I hated my life. I was a workaholic. I'd lost complete sense of my values. And in the process of grieving her death, I really reinvented and I became a different person, for lack of a better word. In one blog post in particular, you said something and I was just like, I really like how you said that. You're like, true self-care requires tuning into your deepest selves and becoming intimate with the small and neglected person inside. And I was like, whoa, like that is like really what it is. So I know you shared about your daughter and how that kind of led to you getting to where you are now. But during that process and in that journey, like what were some of the things that you learned as far as self-care so that you could get to this place of healing and be able to help others? Well, you know, I had never really been through a serious crisis before. I had left marriage. I had come out as a lesbian. I'd done big things, but I didn't register them as crises. This was an unqualified crisis. And I think one of the big things I learned was the value of crisis and that everything does actually happen for a reason. And I really, really needed to hit the reset button. And I didn't know what my values were. And I remembered thinking that, you know, when she was, she had a medically unexplainable cardiac arrest, two of them, in fact. And within six days, we had to take her off life support because she had brain damage. I mean, she, she couldn't sustain life. And, uh, you know, in that process, I, I discovered that it was probably what was meant to be her death. I discovered acceptance very quickly. I was never, you know, mad at God or all of the stuff that you hear people go through as, as a natural part of grief. I just didn't go through it. But what I did go through was a complete sort of disgust with the way my life had been up to that point and a real vow to become a better person because she was that better person. She was a very free-spirited, very present, very honest, and very jubilant person who went all over the world with her backpack and her little travel guitar playing music on the street for people and, <laughs> and living on very little money somehow. And, you know, every day was an adventure for Teal. And for me, I was like all about making the money and I've got to achieve and my ambition is the most important thing. And this just got me to slow the heck down. And in fact, Tony Ann, I did not work for two entire wow. years after her death. 
I just, I lived on my savings. I lived in a friend's house for free. You know, I just like did life on the super cheap, which was possible in California. And, uh, you know, I just kind of totally let go. And I think that letting go is what we're all so afraid of because we're all so very busy in this life. And we've got these high expectations that we pin on ourselves. And, you know, what if life wasn't about all that achievement? You know, Teal left behind this beautiful little journal, this kind of ratty spiral notebook. And on every page at the bottom, she wrote, be and you know, or just be. Mm -hmm. And she would say that. She'd say, now, come on, mom, just be. (laughs) It's like, what the heck is that supposed to mean? I don't know. But what it meant was calm down and be present because this is reality right here, right now. It's not that anxious projection you're putting together in your mind. It is not definitely what happened in the past because that happened then. It isn't happening right now. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know anything, really. You just know how to be when you're really honest with yourself. I just mm, want to know, you. why is it so hard for us as moms like to do the self-care and to take care of ourselves? Because the programming is don't. The programming in the culture is avoid thinking of yourself. Focus entirely on everybody else. And we all know it's the airplane metaphor. You got to put on the oxygen mask first. And, you know, I I learned about self-care from Teal's death. That two-year period taught me fundamental things about setting boundaries, asking for help, creating more time for myself to make things happen, being more relaxed and more forgiving of myself. That was the biggest lesson because I had been such a perfectionist and I had been so driven and I had been so hell-bent on achieving and impressing people and having the perfect family and having the perfect job and making, you know, and it was all just kind of nonsense in the end. None of it actually meant anything. And I was able to see that in Teal's death because when you're hanging out at the edge of life, when someone has died, and particularly in her case, because her organs were donated. So I was, I became connected to the young woman who got her heart and her Mm -hmm. kidneys. And, and, you know, when you're in that space, nothing matters, but the here and now, it is a very true thing. And, uh, you know, there are such grave matters on the table that everything else seems insignificant. And it, it really becomes clear how much we're worrying about things that don't matter. I remember making little veggie croquettes <laughs> for my children when they were toddlers, like, this will get them to eat veggies. And my son was like Joe hot dog and spaghetti for his entire childhood, you know, like never ate a green vegetable. And his and his friends, family who were all farmers, they used to make fun of him. And today he's a happy, healthy, striving adult who eats plenty of vegetables. <laughs> None of it mattered. Didn't need the, chick- the veggie croquettes. You know, he really didn't. But that was me thinking I will be an inadequate mother if I don't overproduce. Mm-hmm. And my message is often about letting go of the inner perfectionism because then we end up projecting it on our Mm. kids. And that's actually particularly unhelpful. Yes. (laughs) Now, I I wanted to switch gears just a little bit because, like I said, I was on your 
website and reading through several of the blog posts. And there was one that really in particular got my attention about self-care. You gave some things that I didn't even really think about where you're saying like practicing to slow down a little or dare to do nothing. And I was like, I haven't even thought about these things, but I was just wondering, like, how did you even get to this place of daring to do nothing and slowing down a little? Like, where did this come from? It all came from my two years of literally doing nothing. Once I tried and I tried and it failed. And a couple more times I rose my head up and tried every time it failed. And I I figured, you know, the universe knows more than me about this. And I... I found myself daydreaming for the first time in a long time. And then I read a really wonderful book called Bored to Brilliant Mm. by a woman who had done a survey of 20,000 people about their overproductivity and their too much busyness. And she found, neurologically speaking, we are in what they call default mode when we brain just kind of daydream and we don't have any particular activity in front of us. And it's when the brain problem solves. Mm. And if we don't give the brain enough space to problem solve, if we think consciously, we have to come up with the solution right here, right now, let me get my little pen out and I'm going to make notes and I'm going to, you know, click away on links or whatever. Well, instead of that, just sitting, not even trying to come up with the answer. This is why we get inspirations in the shower. It's one of the few times we're in default Mm -hmm. mode because we're, and particularly you know, in our current culture of the last 20 years where screens have really begun to send more and more and more of a fire hose of information at us, the amount of time we spend in default mode is quite low. And we're actually at risk of evolving into a different species ultimately, because without default mode, we can't get the divine inspiration that is around us all the time. You know, I'm not even speaking religiously or spiritually. It's just the inspiration's out there. And the only way you can receive it is to slow down enough to hear it. Another thing that I know that I liked in that blog post that I was telling you about is making a plan big or small to take care of your needs. Because again, we always Mm -hmm. seem to put kids and family and work as a priority above ourselves, but definitely taking that time And planning it out, I think is huge. One of my favorite things to tell people to do, and I mention it a lot on the, on the show, self-care for extremely busy people or busy women, I guess. One of the things I really mention is this question, what do I need right now? And most of us struggle to answer it. You know, you might know you need like ice cream. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But you really might need to ask for a raise. And if you can have a few minutes of default mode, that'll come to you. So for me, being in the flow with what's happening in the here and now is just as important as the schedule. And I make a little breakdown of my day where I go into, you know, I'm going to have the self-care zone for 30 minutes, but I don't know what I'm going to do in that self-care zone. And it might be, you know, sitting in the hot tub, but it might be crying. It might be having a good cry or if I'm troubled or journaling or, you know, meditation always seems to wind its way in there because it really needs to, that's so very good for our brain. And sometimes self-care is having last night's green beans for breakfast or, you know, whatever you feel motivated by. But it's also having a zone a few times a day, which is for you. And uh, mothers listening to this who who have kids that keep them on the run, you know, soccer age or toddlers or babies or whatever, the point is that, you have demands on you 
and you get to have your own time too. And I am here as your advocate, as is Tony Ann, and we are going, go mom, go, head for the self-care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I and I think a lot of times like we schedule things out and put things, at least for me, I can see right now my planner right now, I have things blocked out. But I love how you said just blocking mm-hmm. out 30 minutes of self-care time. So I know that I have certain times where I highlight it and I'm like, okay, this is for me. But actually like blocking mm-hmm. out every day, 30 minutes, I like that one even better. Yep. And you know, one of the things you can do is squeeze it in before everybody wakes up. My mom used to get up in a dead silent house every morning. And I was always like, why is she getting up so early? What a mistake. She, that was her self-care time before the four kids started, you know, rampaging through the house and the work at home husband, et cetera, et cetera. Right before bed, I have found you know, I have a high, high demand dog <laughs> <laughs> and I really have to give her a run in the morning or she's trouble. And, uh, you know, I have other responsibilities in our home and I need to do those. I can't meditate first thing in the morning anymore the way I used to. So I have started finding my little meditation zone is before I cook dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just get in there and do that then. And that seems to work. You know, that seems to keep me able to, to do these things for myself. And at different stages of our lives, we will have a lot more time for self-care. I actually spend a couple hours a day on self-care, mm. but I'm in my 60s and, you know, no longer taking care of children or, you know, I am, I'm still working full time. But, you know, I find that as you get older, you need more for sure. Now, what about this one point where you said to give yourself adequate resources? This one I like really parked me up here because I was like, okay, where's she going with this adequate resources? I want you to talk to us about that one. Well, resources, we always know is kind of code mm-hmm, for money, mm-hmm. right? And, <laughs> and resources is, are you in debt? Are you financially confused? Are you a compulsive spender? Are you spending money without thinking about it? Are you underpaid? You know, I hate to say it, but a whole lot of people in our world are underpaid and they overdeliver. Do you leave work way later than everybody else, but somehow the salary doesn't reflect it? You know, that kind of thing. That's where we have to get our resources mm. together. And in the book I just launched a few months ago, Free Spirited, I actually talk a lot about how I found in my two years of real self-discovery and healing after my daughter's death that I had a compulsive financial issue around debting and overspending and financial confusion or, or what we call financial vagueness. I was not spending enough time really thinking about my money mm-hmm. and paying attention to it and being organized with it. And now every Monday morning, I balance my checkbook. It's kind of basic. I just go through all those little auto charges and I weed things out and I find, oh, that shouldn't be in there. And I request refunds Mm -hmm. and I really look at my money in detail. Sometimes people have to do it every day. But what I get from that is this fantastic feeling of being grounded and having enough. And resources, you know, resources can also be time. Mm. It can also be your physical health. It can also be emotional support. Those things are also important resources. But for me, resources begins with, you know, the home, the money, the do you have enough for food? Can you pay your bills? 
the basics of our world today. And boy, when you have enough, it's, it's a comfort and you can calm down. And then you can consider things like taking time and slowing down. And, you know, maybe it is time to request that vacation that you've not claimed in three years. The amount of unclaimed mm-hmm. vacation time is something like a billion hours in America, you know, and the risk. Did you know that women who do not take vacation in in five to eight years are something like 800 times more likely to have a cardiac mm-hmm. arrest or a heart attack? I mean, vacation, uh, actually, it's 800% more likely to have a cardiac event. And honestly, I just think we have to give ourselves the basics and then build from that to be able to get to a place of calming down. Mm. And I say this as someone who lived on very little money. Yes, yes. (laughs) But I had enough. It was really interesting because my resources then included bartering and living for free and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And it's funny that you bring this up because I literally just had a conversation with my husband when we were driving, actually to come back home to actually record this podcast. I was telling him, I was like, I finally feel like in a comfortable place financially. Like, I don't want to put extra burdens on myself because he really wants a new house. And I'm like, I don't have new house money. Like, I like my life. Like, let's not make it more complicated. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can literally go into the grocery store. And if I want something, I'll get it. Like, I don't have to think about Mm -hmm. like, oh, do I have enough? Like, oh, I have to stay within my budget. Like, of course, like, yeah, like, I'm not going to go crazy. But I'm just saying, if I see like, you know, a fancy chocolate, I'm like, oh, that looks good. I want to try it. I'll try it. And it was a time when, yeah, I could not do that, but it feels so good. And like you said, it's so freeing when you have the resources, because I know a lot of people like to say like, oh, money can't buy you happiness, but it definitely makes you feel better when you have it. I can definitely say that. It can buy you serenity. That, yes. <laughs> That's what it can buy you. And what I hear is you have financial clarity. Yes. You know how much mm-hmm. you have. I lived for a long time in the place of vagueness, like yeah, I could probably buy that chocolate. Just get it. Okay, I want it. Fine. And then it'd be like, you can't really afford that <laughs> chocolate or those shoes or that, you know, vacation you just went on. The incredible human desire to overindulge mm-hmm. is real. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't mean we shouldn't. It just means we got to have the underpinnings, the infrastructure in place to support Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Now, there's one other thing that I wanted to have you break down a little bit, and that is being unwilling to be uncomfortable. Because I think a lot of times, especially for me, I'll speak for myself. I like my nice little cushy, comfortable life. I think I just said that. I, I like my life. <laughs> I like my life. But when, when you're talking about getting uncomfortable, what are you talking about as far as being willing to get a little uncomfortable? Well, we're very adaptable. Human beings are remarkable that way. Mm. And if I wanted, well, for instance, I was offered this job writing fiction for an investor who was willing to pay me well to write a series of novels. This was going to be my whole new work, totally different, brand new. I had published fiction 20 years earlier, but it had been a long time since I'd written a novel. And I'd only published one. So I was like, oh, my God, can I do this? Can I actually do this? And I hadn't worked for two years. That was way out of my comfort zone at first. And, of course, my perfectionist kicked in, and I was kind of like, the whole time I was writing the first novel, I was really uncomfortable. 
but it actually turned out to be a pretty good book. Mm. And the investor was very pleased and hired me to write seven more of these books. And one by one, they became more comfortable and I became more relaxed. And I think they became better. Mm-hmm. The, the, the key is understanding that anything that is uncomfortable in this moment will become comfortable in another moment. You know, you just have to get used to it. And that is very much necessary when you want to make lasting, sustainable changes. For me, I found that living without any particular idea of what I was going to do next, that took a, that was highly uncomfortable for me because I had been like so focused and so organized and so, you know, ambitious. I'm going to have this business. I'm going to make that money. I'm going to reach these people. And when you're grieving a crisis, you know, you lose all of it. You just lose your mojo completely. And I kept sitting with this question of, well, what am I going to do when I finally do something? And then the fiction showed up, but I was really having to surrender to the process of not knowing and let the solution present itself. And it did, you know, and I just had another year like that where that project ended and I tried various things and, you know, well, maybe I'll do self-care for corporate or maybe I'll try to really monetize the show and you know, yeah. I did all these things and they really weren't working. And again, I was living on my savings. And then I got approached by someone to write a biography about my father, who was a well-known artist mm-hmm. about whom no books have ever been written. And it was the perfect project for the perfect time. And, and, uh, I'm very delighted to be working on that project now. It's exactly what I would love to be doing and didn't even know it. Like I I hadn't thought to myself, oh, this is a great time to write that book about your dad. You know, the woman who commissioned me from the National Museum that hired me had read my new memoir, Free Spirited, Mm -hmm. and thought, oh, this person can write memoirs. How about one about her father? So here we are. I never would have expected that to come out of the book. Yeah. Suzanne shares several ways that we can better take care of ourselves. My hope is that you're able to find at least one that you can practice this week, whether it's scheduling 30 minutes of self-care every day, doing nothing for a few minutes, or checking to make sure that you have adequate resources. But before you go, Suzanne has one last thing for you. Okay, you high achiever mothers. Just, it's time to chill out. So come on over to the podcast, Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women, or take a look at the memoir, Free-Spirited, How My Daughter Healed Me from the Afterlife, because they're books about the value and podcasts about the value of stopping and slowing down just enough to hear yourself think. Slowing down to the speed of life. Mm. Now that's it for this episode of the Real Happy Mom podcast. Check out realhappymom.com slash 204 for the show notes. And be sure to be back here next week, same time, same place. Take care and with lots of love.